quick update. My <laughs> blender broke recently. And That's annoying. It's probably from overuse and because it was ancient. And <laughs> so, we love an ancient kitchen <laughs> utensil. Can you just picture it like those ones that are off white colored with like orange? Oh buttons. my god, yes, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> Not the orange buttons, dude. <laughs> yeah, so now that it is gone, rest in peace. Um, RIP. I want to replace it with something that's more convenient, not as bulky, and that's where the Blendjet 2 comes in. Hell yeah. The Blendjet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach, mm-hmm. which is exactly how I plan to use it. <laughs> of it's course. small enough <laughs> to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. The Blendjet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house, or in my case, my morning margarita. (laughs) (laughs) For 15 plus blends and recharges quickly via USB-C. Best of all, Blendjet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you are good to go. Um, They have a ton of cool colors and patterns. Definitely need to add the Lisa Frank one to my cart ASAP because that just is such a cute, nostalgic blast from the past. Of course. Yep. So you can blend anytime, anywhere with the Blendjet 2 Portable Blender. And to get one for yourself, go to blendjet.com and use our code, which is ggs 12 and you'll get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Oh yeah. Hello. Georgina. Hello. Welcome back <laughs> to Girls Gone Spooky. I'm Olivia. Yay. And I'm Amy. And um, what episode are we on? 61. Well, wow. 21. Season 2, episode 21. Okay. But 61 in total, which I okay. should probably not number it that way anymore. <laughs> With 61 total? Total episodes. But yeah, it's, you know, season two, episode 21. It's cool for us to know that because it's like, Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Wow. So much. I know. (laughs) We've done a lot. It's been so fun. And I feel like we're just getting started. Oh, yeah. uh, You little spooky hoes. So this week, we are returning a little bit to the like astral projection, dream, brain world, brain world <laughs> um, topics. Mm-hmm. And we are talking about shared dreams and mm-hmm. psychic death, mm-hmm. also known as psychic trigger warning suicide, which mm-hmm. we will not refer to it as that unless yeah. in the collateral Amy has prepared that is referred to. Yep. But just because I feel like that's like a huge trigger for everybody. Yes, so definitely. Psychic death. Um, death. <laughs> death metal. <laughs> Could be a band name. Could psychic be. Death. Psychic actually, death. Actually, I wonder if it is. <laughs> I was literally about to say, actually, I Let's think it might be. Spotify, psychic here we come. Death. Psychic death. Band. Um, I don't think so. Oh, yeah, there is one. It's small, though. They have one song <laughs> with less than a wow. thousand listens. I feel like it also be a, it would be a good song title as well. Mm. Yes, agreed. As would sh- as would shared dreams. Yeah. <laughs> it would be shared dreams. 
Um, so I think I'm starting this week. So I'm just going to hop right in because I have a ton of content. Okay. So I wanted to start with some background on like defining a shared dream, give you some background on like where the terminology even came from for this mm -hmm. um, and like what actual true scientific studies have been done. Yeah. So the part which probably everyone already understands is shared dreaming is the idea that two or more people can share the same dream environment. So the degree to which the dream is shared can vary from either, or, you know, from having common elements or events that happen in each person's dream to the entire dream being totally identical. Everything like each of those and everything in between has been reported. The experience is known by different names, including mutual dreams, dream meshing, linking, and shared dreaming. And so all of those terms are interchangeable. The first person to document telepathic dreaming, which is also how hmm. they refer to it, in modern times was Sigmund Freud. Oh, interesting. Which I had no idea, but makes so much oh. sense given like everything about the human psyche and like mm -hmm. our relationship to each other and men and women and all of that. So right. it makes total sense. Mm -hmm. um, he actually wrote a paper about it in 1922 called Dreams and Telepathy. He was mm -hmm. very suspicious of the idea, probably because it didn't directly correlate to dicks because um, <laughs> he loved dicks. Uh -huh. uh, never... Because uh, he had never had a shared dream himself, um, nor had he encountered any evidence of mutual dreaming in his patients. He believed a connection between telepathy and dreams couldn't be proven, nor could it be disproven at that time in 1922. Mm -hmm. um, his peer, Carl Jung's uh, greatest and most controversial contribution to the field of psychology was his theory of collective or transpersonal unconscious so Jung raised the possibility of a shared mind that connects everyone and even connects all time from present to the origins of the human species and beyond. I didn't know that. Like you hear mm -hmm. about things being like Jungian, but yeah. I've never heard of that like specifically. No. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> which is so interesting. And that, of course, if there's a shared mind would open the door to the concept of mutual or shared dreaming. Mm -hmm. So... <clears throat> Those who believe that shared dreams are genuine say it can happen spontaneously or be planned, which in my mm -hmm. opinion is sort of the connection to like astral projection that you would mm -hmm. be like in Young's kind of the ecosystem that he sort of laid out, like you would be connecting within that shared mind as two individuals. Right. So what we do know about them is they're most common if, you know, we're just going to say, okay, we believe in it. They're most common between people who are emotionally close, such as couples, siblings, parent, child, or best friends. <laughs> um, and it's also said that twins may be especially prone to shared dreams, which makes a lot of sense, mm -hmm. like, you know, either in a woo-woo way, but also just like generally that your brains mm -hmm. would probably think similarly. Right. So if you they spent the day together and then mm -hmm. went to bed, you could probably have a shared dream. Yeah. Um, according to Bustle, if you and a friend share a dream, it's indicative of an emotional closeness. Quote, mm. you two literally operate on the same wavelength and are essentially haunting one another's subconscious. <laughs> <laughs> You're connected through more than just shared experiences and similar coping mechanisms. Your spirit pals cherish mm. it, which I thought was like a really cute way to view it. Yeah, definitely. So... 
some studies that have been done. So Dr. Stephen Leberge of the Lucidity Institute believes mutual dreaming experiments in the lab can test the objective reality of shared dream worlds. In other words, group dreaming can be used to prove whether the dream world is a genuine alternate reality or not, which is very mm-hmm. interesting. Um, a 2017 study, which is so recent, mm-hmm. um, explored the idea that shared dreams come from a desire to enhance emotional attachments in relationships. So it can be almost like you wish yourself into a connection with someone via Mm -hmm. a shared dream. Um, The main focus was on uh, the relationship between two dreamers and the study found these dreams tended to occur when the subjects were feeling a sense of separation and lack of intimacy in their daily lives. The study reported that 96% of mutual dreams experienced were between friends, relatives, or significant others. So that's one thing that like everybody seems to agree on, whether they're Mm -hmm. skeptical or totally believe that this is a a real thing. Right. Um, Furthermore, there was a physicist whose name is Tom Campbell, um, a lucid dreamer named Ian Wilson and a bunch of others who claim that advanced dreamers can intend to fall asleep and wake up in a dream and then go looking for each other in the dreamscape. So this Mm. is like astral projection, essentially. Campbell, uh, the physicist, claims to have done it while working with Robert Monroe, the author of Journeys Out of Body, which now I want to read. Shared dreaming is said to usually happen spontaneously, especially among family members. Um, And then one more like background piece. This was from, that was from um, a UK publication called Dreams. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's like the science of dreams and, you know, all the studies that have been done, et cetera. This one is from Psychology Today. And they said that the best documented cases involved therapist client shared dreams. In these, there is a professionally trained therapist who verifies the claim that the dream happened to both the therapist and the client around the same time. The next best documented cases involve people in close relationships like parent, child, spouses, lovers, friends, etc. So obviously, same thing I've been saying. Mm-hmm. Um, Consistent with the effect of emotional closeness on shared dreams, we also have plenty of well-documented cases of twins sharing the same dream. The least well-documented cases involve complete strangers sharing the same dream. But the thing is, we only have anecdotal evidence of that. Yeah, Yeah. if if they happen to run into each other and recognize each other from the dream, Mm -hmm. right? Like, oh my God, this is so weird. You were in my dream. Yeah. Have you heard that thing that like your brain can't actually make up someone's face? Mm -hmm. Like it's, you're literally pulling, like your subconscious is pulling from faces you've just seen on the street or whatever. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of interesting. It probably happens to strangers more Mm -hmm. than we realize. Yeah, but we wouldn't Um, know. Right. So um, this author, contributor on Psychology Today, had written about uh, shared dreams of twins on a blog um, and cited sources on twins in that post. Um, So there and there are tons of books done on this, too. So like Anthony Shafton wrote a book in 1995 called Dream Reader. Um, Frank Seafield wrote Dream Curiosities. There are forums on shared dreams all over the Internet, including, of course, Reddit, which I pulled a bunch of cool stories Mm -hmm. from. Some cool, some creepy, like just wild. Um, So we sort of have to conclude based on that, that unless all of these people are fucking liars, that this Mm -hmm. does happen. (laughs) Right. So people, whether or not you you believe it, people believe that they've experienced the same dream as others. Um, I don't doubt it. 
No, I don't really either. And from a scientific perspective, of course, like we have to remain skeptical until there's controlled scientific investigation that, you know, produces evidence in either direction. Um, <clears throat> so I think there are some common out the one I think, uh, let me see. Yeah, last couple of things on this. So there are some commonalities among the reports that increase confidence in their reliability. So of course, there are some where people are like, no, it didn't happen like this. It happened mm -hmm. like that. And you're like, okay, well, maybe you just had two different dreams. Yeah. But there are some commonalities. So for example, most often the two people involved know each other and are emotionally close, which we already know. Obviously, you're more likely to hear about unusual experiences involving two people if they see each other on a regular basis. In addition, the way in which the two people typically discover that they shared a dream is that one person begins sharing the dream and the other person, mm -hmm. you know, without knowing that the other person had the same one until the other person jumps in and says, oh, and then this happened. And they're yeah. like, yeah, how'd you know? Mm -hmm. So people often report that nothing unusual happened before the shared dream, which I thought was interesting because you'd think mm -hmm. like... Say you and I went to the mall and there was like a big robbery at the Apple store. Like mm -hmm. it'd be much more likely that night that you and I yeah. would dream something kind of similar and we'd probably both be in each other's dreams and mm -hmm. all of that. But that right. I thought was really interesting. So they report that they didn't talk about dreams with the other person before mm -hmm. the, the event. So there's really no indication of biasing or priming effects. Mm -hmm. um, and the fact that two people involved often do not agree about every detail in the dream actually increases confidence that the reports are honest accounts. Because if they were just trying to prove it right. by lying, the then why would you say, yeah, exactly. So that I thought that was really interesting because I kind of went the other direction initially mm -hmm. reading it. I was like, oh, well. Maybe it's just different dreams, but it's like yeah. little details that don't mm -hmm. line up. Yeah. So it seems inevitable that individual differences ranging from mood to IQ to memory differences would prevent people from recalling every detail of a dream exactly the same. And it's also perspective, right? So a ton of the examples I have are like these two people both had the same dream, but from different perspective so like I was mm -hmm. on the second floor you were on the first floor I was looking down at you oh, you were looking up at me that's bizarre. which reminded me of the um oh my god the that I think it was a dream or like a vision someone had about looking up and there was some sort of like general and the woman with the general and and they had clearly had kind of an intimate relationship and then she was looking down and there was like they're not supposed to be children here. And it seemed like some kind of like world mm -hmm. war two era thing. It was on oh. a past, it was on a past episode, like a little while back. <laughs> and I can't remember exactly what it was, but yeah. Yeah. I can't it's similar to that though, mm -hmm. because then someone else, like it was a past lives thing, I think. And okay. then someone else mm -hmm. saw them from like the kid's perspective. Super oh. weird. Interesting. So yeah. Mm -hmm. So lots of that kind of stuff. Um, so going back to this, though, so the small amount of variance concerning details and reports of shared dreams makes sense. Interestingly, the timing of the event can vary as well. So sometimes the shared dream occurs at the same time for both people. In other cases, it doesn't. What's remarkable is that so much of the shared dreams, sometimes including small details, are recalled as strikingly similar or even identical by the two people involved, regardless of the timing or their experience, like perspective-wise. Yeah. So... That's just some background and kind of like a couple different takes on what's common, what's not, you know, what we believe inspires confidence, etc. Right. So I then went to Reddit, of course, mm -hmm. and found so many cool things. <laughs> Our oh. favorite place. Yes. Favorite <laughs> place. 
internet. Um, so this is from a user named Orange Julius's, which like shout out because Orange Julius <laughs> rules. Mm-hmm. Um, Where'd they go? Saying, Do they still exist? We have one like near my place, and I have yet <sighs> to frequent that place. I need to go before yeah. it gets shut down. <laughs> you need at least one. <laughs> I need at least one. Yeah. Um, so. Orange Julius has said, I have a few experience of sharing dreams with people that I've been sleeping in close proximity to. So that's another <laughs> layer. Um, the first time it happened was a few years ago. I dreamt that I hit a friend with my car. They were crashing on the couch for the night. And when I woke up, the first thing they said to me was, dude, I had the weirdest dream that you hit me with your car. <laughs> That's so weird. So weird. I was absolutely shocked as I hadn't had a chance to tell them about it, much less even say good morning. I had never really dreamt about them before that, but they started showing up a lot more in my dreams after that and and even occasionally do to this day, even though we haven't spoken in quite a while. Most recently was last night. My partner and I both dream a lot and we talk about our dreams every morning. They've gotten progressively more similar over time. This morning I dreamt that she surprised me at home with an absolutely huge pizza, like three feet across. And we had a really fun pizza party. And she told me that she dreamt that we went to Sam's club and got so distracted by pizza that we didn't do any shopping. <laughs> How Is dream yeah. Is dream sharing or dream hopping real? Is there a safe or unsafe way to do it intentionally? So they're looking to like maybe try to merge their dreams and yeah. their partners like, like intentionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I was yeah. like, that's so interesting. Yeah, it is. So, <laughs> and I love that it's just something so simple as mundane. we were yeah. looking for pizza <laughs> and I was having a pizza party. I love pizza that. party. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like, it's very cute. Not all of them are that Monday. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so this is from good sir underscore parish. Um, okay, to preface this, when I was in elementary school to mid-middle school years, I was pretty close to two friends that I'll call by initials G and M. We hung out a lot, but M moved away and we stayed friends, but I didn't talk to them much anymore. G and I continued to hang out a lot. So I have this dream that felt very eerie, but not in the normal scary dream kind of way. Everything just felt a little bit off. Basically, the three of us were walking around a neighborhood at dusk and go up to a school, go in and walk around. I got the spooky feeling of being in an empty school and I realized it felt really abandoned or haunted or something. And eventually I realized that G and M were no longer with me. So I panicked and ran around trying to find them until eventually I woke up. I didn't think much of the dream at the time other than it was weird to dream about M because I hadn't seen them in years at this point. So later I'm hanging out with G and they call M randomly and M tells us about their dream and it's the same exact (laughs) dream I had but from yeah. M's perspective, <sighs> down to M and G leaving me and the scenery and how it felt. Whoa. Crazy because M and I were never super close. Our little group did stuff, but I have no idea how we could share an exact dream. Right. That's so weird. Isn't that cool? Whoa. And they ah! said they hadn't seen M in a while. In years. They hadn't years. spoken okay. in years. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's just a weird connection. So weird. Like you can't explain weird. that really. Is that a message that they should <laughs> are be more connected? Or, yeah, I don't know. Who knows? That's so interesting. Well, and like the some of those studies said, like it can be when you're feeling a lack of connection or intimacy. Like I mm-hmm. wonder if 
it's that or having felt, you know, maybe like some dynamics in the th- the trio friendship, yeah. like it triggered it. And mm-hmm. then they're all very emotionally close or were at some point. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's just really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is from Voodoo Zuzu, which like I don't love that they put that fucking yeah. demon thing in there. Thank <laughs> yeah. you for making me uh-huh. say it. Um, I forgot about they, that. Is that no, the one that wow. you're not supposed to say out loud? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, maybe I should have spelled it out. Nothing bad is yeah. welcome in my space yeah. or inside me. Thank yes. you. <laughs> um, okay. They said, I have a recurring dream that I'm in a house I've never been in, but I can navigate it with ease. I know every room, every hidden passage, as well as the surrounding neighborhood. I can interact with everyone. Some people have blurred faces. I can still talk to them, but it's mainly out of context, like listening to one side of a phone call. Some people function a bit like NPCs, like non-player characters for anyone who doesn't know that abbreviation. There are a few I've encountered that were self-aware, but confused. I shrugged it off as just weird dreams until I spoke with my brother about it. And he said he had the exact same dream. I didn't believe him at first, but he explained in extreme detail exactly what I had also experienced in the dream. I even left out key details that he was able to describe vividly. So now I'm fully convinced that we had a shared dream. Has anyone else experienced this or something similar? So I wanted to interject a quick anecdote of my own, which was not a shared dream, but there are definitely very similar components. So when I, I've talked a lot about my night terrors and just like intense dream world. And, um, there was, a. Thanksgiving. This was years ago. I was in high school. My brother was in university and he was home for the holiday. And so he ended up falling asleep on the couch, I think. So he slept on the couch and I woke up screaming, crying, my mom coming in the room, like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I was like, I just had the worst dream. Like, and it was basically like a saw style dream where in the end, my brother was murdered and in like a super gruesome way. And in the dream, he screamed as he was being killed. And, you know, your brain is just so crazy. Like Mm -hmm. I've never heard my brother scream like that, like scream, Mm -hmm. not just like yell, but like scream in pain and fear, terror. And I am certain that that sound that my brain created is exactly Mm -hmm. what it would sound like in real life. Like it was horrifying. Mm -hmm. So anyway, Ugh, it's yeah. that dream is probably the worst dream I've ever had. Like that mm-hmm. dream still like haunts me. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. So I'm, t- I'm like, my mom's like, do you want to tell me what happened? And I was like, so I'm like blurting it all out, just trying to like get it out. And she's like giving me kind of a weird look. And I was like, what? And she's like, Jordan had a super weird dream about you dying. And I was like, what? And it was some sort of like post-apocalyptic landscape. And we had to like, it was, he, my mom and I, and we had to climb some sort of like scaffolding and my mom was first and then him and then me. And he said, I guess he told me later, but what he had told her and she regurgitated to me was like, you were climbing behind him and he looked back to check on you to make sure like, Hey, are you okay? Mm -hmm. And as he looks, he notices my hand slip and I lose lose my grip and I start falling. And the whole dream, he said, was like 
stretching on and on and on, just watching me fall, not being able to do anything. Like I was way too far away for him to try and grab me. Like there was nothing he could do. And us just making eye contact as I'm falling. Oh God. And like, isn't that weird? Yeah. And it was like, if you think about some of the background again, that like craving emotional closeness and all of that makes sense. Cause he was away at college. Yeah. So him coming back was like, Oh, this is so nice. I wish we had more time like this together. Yeah. And so that like, you can see how that would trigger it, but just interesting that it would happen to siblings at the same time. Right. Yeah. Super weird. That is weird. On the same night that happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <gasps> yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Your minds were in the same place. Totally. Totally. Hmm. So um, there are a bunch of people who like replied and were like, well, this doesn't make a lot of scientific sense. Like, you know, maybe you had similar experiences leading up to a dream and your brain just tried to match up the details. And he was like, no, I really don't think that's it. Like I left out details, just not thinking like not so that he would prove it, but I just happened to leave out details that he then told me. So He's just like, I don't know how there could possibly be a scientific, you know, explanation for this, but I can't, I can't explain it. Mm -hmm. Um, So there were, there's someone in the, in the comments who then goes into huge detail about (laughs) their attempt to meet um, the user's name is Astrealism which I don't know if that's a real word, but whatever. But this guy was like my, or this person was like my friend Larther and I started a project to try and like meet in a shared lucid dream. Mm -hmm. So it would be, you're aware you're dreaming and also you're meeting someone. And then Mm -hmm. they kind of go into it, which sounds a little more like astral projection to me than like an intentional shared dream where Mm -hmm. you're, where you know, you're dreaming. Um, So it's just, yeah, it's just super interesting stuff. Mm -hmm. Very I loved this one. This was like a little romantic. Oh, um, okay. This is from zealous ideal underscore bet 4038. In 2013, I dreamt of a New Year's Eve party where I was talking to a girl outside by the driveway. Then I dreamt I had to leave early. When I woke up, I somehow had this feeling that the girl was real. So I tried to commit enough details to memory that I'd be able to confirm her identity someday. And then told no one, told no one about. In 2021, I met a girl who quickly became one of my closest friends. When we'd known each other for a while, she asked me if I'd ever had a dream where I'd met someone I knew was real. We exchanged several minutes of confirmation questions and found we both had this exact (sighs) same dream in the fall of 2013. Whoa. Oh my gosh. Destiny. Yeah. At the time the dream took place, we were living halfway across the country and had never been within a hundred miles of one another. Wow. What? (laughs) That one makes me chills. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, when I say romantic, I don't necessarily mean like sexy romantic. romantic. Yeah. yeah, But I mean, like, I, I, cause this could be a a woman, I don't know, or Mm -hmm. they could be a a woman and falling in love, whatever, but I can't Mm -hmm. tell if they're friends, but it's like, how either cool way. is that? Yeah, yeah, either way, it's freaking cool. Yeah. So, well, that so is wild. destiny. Like, yeah, you were Absolutely. destined to meet each other. Yeah. And somehow you knew that before yeah, it even happened. Crazy. Yeah. So, this one, the original post is from I'm Revel. So, this is super brief. My son tells me about 
a dream he has. He's three years old and his dream is identical to one I remember having when I was 16. I remember it so vividly and it was strange enough back then that I even tried to draw it so I wouldn't Mm. forget. I am certain I have never shared this dream with anyone. (laughs) So then they're like, has anyone else experienced something like this? So then chug life 1989. (laughs) Amazing. Uh Yes, me and my sister had the same dream on the same night when we were kids. I dreamt that there was a bag of kittens hanging from the beams in my basement. I woke up and immediately went downstairs to free the kittens. When I got to the basement stairs, my sister was already halfway down, and I asked her what the heck she was doing. We were only eight or nine, and our our basement is creepy, especially at three o'clock in the morning. She said, I got to save the kittens. Oh. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So I only have, I have a couple more and then one person shared like a possible kind of explanation and I liked it. So okay, very shamanic kind of vibe. So we'll get to that. Um, So this is from Lavender Menace one, which I love. (laughs) Yeah. Um, That'd be a good like roller derby name. Oh yeah. I'm the Lavender Menace. (laughs) And just dress all purple, all lavender. Yeah. I can picture it. Um, So they say, my friend and I had a shared dream and I wanted to know everyone's thoughts and what it might mean. So some context. Logan and I have been really close friends for a little over a year. We are very similar in personality and sort of became instant friends. We met at work, which was an escape room with a terrible manager who we will call H and an assistant manager type who we will call K. Neither of us work there anymore. He and I have both occasionally had lucid dream-like experiences in the past unintentionally. His tend to be more fully lucid where he knows completely that he's dreaming. Mine are more like I can alter the course of a dream if it becomes distressing or I don't like what's happening. So in the dream, I'm in a mall on the second floor waiting for an elevator to go meet Logan downstairs. While I'm waiting, H and K, the manager and assistant manager, walk up behind me and are waiting for the elevator as well. We kind of make small talk and they tell me that they're opening a new escape room in the mall. I don't like these people and neither does Logan. So when we get on the elevator the whole way down, I'm thinking Logan is going to be so pissed and think I'm hanging out with them. When we get there and get out, he is pissed, but I explain the situation and we have a normal conversation and everything's good after that. After the dream, after that part, the dream's pretty fuzzy. I don't remember much after that. I mentioned the dream in passing to Logan, and he said that he had a dream about H&K too the other night. I started to describe the dream, and we realized he dreamt about the same scenario. From his perspective, he was in the mall waiting for me to come downstairs and could see the upper floor and could tell that there was something happening upstairs. And we assume that that's maybe the new escape room opening. Right. When I came down, Agent K came out of the elevator with me and he was upset that I was with them. <laughs> Whoa. But I explained that I had just run into them upstairs and then we were all good. Whoa. So weird. So it's the same oh. exact scenario, but oh. from their two like realistic perspectives. Right. Oh my so gosh. So freaking weird. Yeah. I don't know if that makes it weirder than if they had had the exact same dream from the same perspective. Yeah. Like if their roles were switched. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, the way it is feels creepier to me because it's as if it's a real, a real, an alternate reality. They literally traveled to a different 
place, right. however we want to define that, mm-hmm. and then saw the whole thing go down. Right. From in, it, like where in they a were. real yeah. way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Oh, that freaks me out. That's true. Hmm. Yeah. So um, let's see. Okay. So this is from Infinite Lithium. Uh, a couple years ago, I had a rather disturbing dream. I was cutting my fingers off with a knife, and Yikes. the knife just sliced through them like butter. <laughs> there was also a shadowy figure that I was aware of in the corner of my dream. It felt rather menacing, I think, but then also wasn't truly threatening. <laughs> I told my friends about this, and it turned out one of my friends had the exact <sighs> same dream with the feeling of there being a presence of someone menacing in the corner. Whoa. Same hand and fingers being cut off, same night knife same weird sense of calmness while the dream was Mm. happening it was just completely calm no panic no feeling scared or disgusted by the blood or anything Mm. and there wasn't any blood so it was like cutting fingers off as if they weren't fingers like is it fingers or is it cake yeah (laughs) Uh yeah so now we're wondering like what if the shadowy figure was her and in her dream it was me or is it a third person slash right. entity that was in both of ours? Yeah. Because if it were them, it might not feel menacing. Right. But but is that just because yeah. they couldn't see who it was? Right. Or is it, you know, because a shadowy figure in a corner is mm-hmm. like inherently kind of menacing yeah. just by the description. Yeah. Oh, oh, super weird. Super weird. <laughs> super weird. <laughs> okay. So this is the last. Cutting fingers like butter. Oh. Is. I I think I read at some point that biting off like a knuckle is as easy as biting off a a carrot. carrot. (laughs) Yeah. Is that true? I mean, I would. I I don't think so. Because you'd have to go through skin and. And muscle a little bit (laughs) and fat, probably a little bit of fat and bone. I mean, bone? Yeah. Like. No way that that's I guess it's, uh, easier. Like or... I'm biting into my finger right now as hard as I would bite into a carrot. Mm-hmm. Debunked. Harder. Mythbusters, <laughs> guys. That's us. Welcome. <laughs> Myth, Mythbust and spooky hoes. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so this last one is soups creepy like super (laughs) creepy and then we're going to go into the like shamanic explanation okay so this is from reefer madness 1996 (laughs) you can count on that Um, to give us the creepy stuff (laughs) hundred percent so my friend and i had the same dream from different perspectives we were in an abandoned building great start Mm -hmm. like a warehouse or a hospital Getting chased by some madman with a machete who kept spouting vile things towards us as he tried to slice at us. Hmm. My friend and I got separated and the madman continued chasing me. Eventually, he had me backed into a corner with nowhere to go and continued on to strap me onto a table where he (laughs) cut off my hands with the machete, then my feet. Then my arms from the elbow down and legs from the knees down. And mm-hmm. after my second leg was lopped off, I woke up in panic and confusion. Mm-hmm. My friend says she had the same exact dream, only where she was watching me get my limbs cut oh, off God. one by one from the ceiling where she oh. went to hide. Oh. oh, my God. Like, what the fuck? 
Whoa. Okay. So this is someone named Rad Owl who responds. Mm -hmm. Some years ago, we did an AMA, Ask Me Anything, for non-Redditors in our listening group. Mm -hmm. Um, In this sub with the creator of the show, Falling Water, Blake Masters. And I actually looked through the AMA and it's super Mm -hmm. interesting. So if you're interested, Blake Masters, Falling Water, AMA. Um, Okay. I've looked into the subject as deeply. He talks a little bit about the AMA, but that's not really relevant. Mm -hmm. I've looked into the subject as deeply as I can. And I think that the reason why we can share dreams is because some dreams create their own space that can be shared mentally. The dream is a place that you go to. I know that sounds a little nutty, but anyone who has been aware enough to remember their shared dreams knows exactly what I'm talking about. I think it happens nightly, but it occurs during some of the deepest and most unconscious stages of sleep. And most people don't remember those dreams, even if they have a very good dream recall. Mm -hmm. I spoke at length with someone who discussed the dream that he had that involved four of his family members, and they all had the same dream with very specific details. And they all experienced the dream from their own individual perspective. Mm -hmm. I've also discussed this with a famous teacher of dream interpretation, Robert Moss. He says there's a social aspect of dreaming, and in some cultures, it is widely understood and accepted. In fact, there are traditions of starting the day by everyone sharing their dreams and finding the commonalities between them, which Mm -hmm. I love. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he links to an article he wrote about passing information between minds while dreaming, which is kind of interesting. It's on dreams123.net. So I suspected <laughs> blog. Mm-hmm. Um, but since writing that, I have some personal experiences with shared dreams. Someone I know who's a very advanced practitioner of shamanism offered to meet up with me in a dream. That night we went to bed with the intention of meeting up in a specific place. And I woke up the next day with no memories of being with him, but he had some very specific things in his dreams that came to him through the thoughts I had just before going to bed. They were very specific and he shared the details with me without knowing what had been on my mind before Mm -hmm. I went to bed. Super weird. Like, I thought that was a really interesting, like, alternative to like, there's an alternate reality. It's more (laughs) like what we've talked about in terms of like Slender Man, like, that our thoughts are so powerful that we create something entirely new that, like, what if it's real because we believed it into existence? Mm -hmm. So, that same kind of thing, which I thought was like so interesting. Yes. So, yeah, that's. I thought that was a really cool like interpretation of what could be going on. Definitely. Um, and that concludes shared dreams. Wow. That was so cool. Yay. Oh my gosh. And yeah, the last thing that you said is relevant to what I'm going to talk about, which is perfect. <laughs> but Love um, it. I also just want to say my sister, my beautiful, insightful sister, wow. she, I don't know how old she was. Um, but she said, according to my mom, um, let's lay our heads on the same pillow and see if we dream the same dream <laughs> when she was like four or five, probably angel. I know. <laughs> so sweet. So she so intuited sweet. that maybe, or like wanted to have the same dream. Yeah. Who knows? But she's just the best. So thought I would share that. That's adorable. I wonder if it worked. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I maybe we should try that. What if that's a way to like induce this <laughs> to happen? That's pretty cool. Yeah, it would be. Hmm.
Amy, you know, I'm not um, super big into New Year's resolutions because I feel like the things we always commit to for resolutions should just be things we commit to the whole year. So I've been trying to get back into weightlifting recently um, and I've started using protein shakes again and shaker bottles simply blow. Uh, the protein is always so clumpy and I feel like a total idiot using the thing, like shaking it like a shake weight in the middle of the gym. So I decided to ditch my shaker bottle for good and get myself a BlendJet 2 portable blender because it makes perfectly blended protein shakes in 20 seconds. Yeah, that's amazing. So BlendJet 2, it's portable, like Olivia said. So you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach, which is always good. (laughs) Um, BlendJet, it's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to get through tough ingredients like ice, frozen fruit with ease. BlendJet 2 is also whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up your whole house. And it lasts for 15 plus blends and recharges quickly via USB-C. And best of all, BlendJet 2 cleans itself. You just have to blend water with a drop of soap and you're good to go. And that actually is a big deal because washing blenders is so annoying. Oh my God, a literal nightmare. Yeah, (laughs) the easy clean is a great feature about BlendJet 2. Hell yeah. I'm also super into like, pop like because you know I I'm someone who wears black like all black Mm -hmm. almost all the time I'm a very neutral gal and I'm looking down at my outfit right now (laughs) black shirt black pants black shoes but I'm very much into like a really Uh really bright pop of color so I'm very into like hot pink and bright orange and I'm currently obsessed with the bright orange color they have on their site Mm -hmm. a ton of other colors also and designs cute like you know, partnership ones with Disney and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's no other portable blender on the market that comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the BlendJet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. So go to BlendJet.com and grab yours today. Be sure to use the promo code GGS12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Okay, well, so my topic, like we said at the beginning, is psychic death, which I won't refer to it as psychic suicide beyond this first part. Okay. Um, Okay. But this kind of goes back to our astral projection episodes, like we said. Um, And the reason that, well, okay, first of all, psychic death is basically when you die without a obvious physical catalyst. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing that introduced us to this concept was the story of Robert Antuschik, <laughs> still don't know how to say mm-hmm. that, um, who we talked about, but I'll give his story briefly again, yeah. um, that he was this like very lively, interesting man. He was a devoted yogi and practitioner of meditation, um, and he studied in India in the 1970s with these master yogis where he learned to go into this like deep, deep meditative state and also in the process learned about astral projection. And during one of his astral journeys, he encountered this beautiful, like seductive woman (laughs) and he went on to be dedicated and 
take so much of his time to try to find this woman again in the astral realm. And on one of the times that he went, he never came back. And that was when his he told his roommate, I'm going to go on this astral journey. Please don't disturb me. And his roommate left him in there for three days, <laughs> which is maybe too long. Way um, too long. Yeah. And so when he finally did go in and check on him, uh, he found Robert in his meditative position with his hands positioned how he usually would meditate um, with a smile, like a serene smile on his face, but he had died. So um, Robert's story, this is just some historical information, I guess, because at the time, um, this was the 1970s, and people were becoming aware that the U.S. government was researching Mm -hmm astral projection and such um so they had to come up with an official story of what happened and originally the officials were like we don't know (laughs) but then because people were becoming aware of this yeah and being fascinated by it they had to backtrack and say no he had he died of a cocaine overdose but oh yeah (laughs) but his interesting And his friends were like, no, he is sober. He's dedicated to his health. Um, There's no reason why this should have happened. And that's when in this article about him, his friend suggests maybe this was psychic suicide. Like, Mm. what if he met this woman that he'd been looking for and he just decided not to come back? Yeah. So (laughs) that's kind of what psychic suicide is and it I mean that doesn't sound that bad to me (laughs) no it doesn't honestly I was just gonna say that it almost sounds like sweet in a way right the concern though is like what if she's not what she's portraying herself to be Mm -hmm. yeah and that's the question that the author left us with after that article and that we'll never know and I know we kind of talked about like what creatures or beings people have met in the astral realm but I think overall they've all been positive stories so yeah I don't know hopefully he just chose not to come back but yeah we'll never know so <clears throat> then okay so building on Robert's story um the idea that it's possible to have a psychic death has been it's been studied in modern day but also in ancient eastern philosophies and so there's something in hindu and yogic traditions which there's <laughs> there's a lot of words here that i hope i don't mis- mispronounce but <laughs> it's called mahasamadhi which mm-hmm. is a state in which a person can consciously and intentionally leave their body at the moment of death. So, Whoa. yeah, like in a meditative state, you can choose when you're going to leave your body. <laughs> so, which actually makes a ton of sense because mm-hmm. it's like, you know, all those stories where it's like at the very end, I was like, if you need to go, you could go. And then they yeah. flatline they do. 30 yeah. seconds later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, and an example of this <clears throat> is that there's this well-known Swami. His name was Swami Vivekananda. And he was born in 1863 and he died in 1902. 
in a state of what his peers believed to be this Mahasamadhi. And on the day of his death, he went to the monastery and he meditated for three hours. <clears throat> in the a long time. <laughs> I know. In the afternoon, he taught his lessons just like normal. And in the evening, he went back to his room and he was going to meditate some more. And he asked not to be disturbed, <laughs> similar to Robert. Mm -hmm. um, but a few hours later, they checked on him and he was found dead still in his meditative position. Um, oh. And when the medical examiner came, they were told that the official cause of death was a ruptured blood vessel in his brain. But hmm. the Swami's disciples believed that that was actually caused by what they call the Brahmarahandra, which is okay. an opening in the crown of the head, crown of the head that gets pierced when you reach Mahasamadhi. So, my okay, you guys can't <laughs> see me, but my mouth is wide open. Yes, what? <laughs> it's like it physically happened to him. Yeah, when he was creating his, his physical. Mind. Yeah. <gasps> so, so okay. The thing about this that like. That could be really beautiful. The mm -hmm. thing that freaks me out, to be totally honest, is <laughs> what if you did it on accident? Right. Because mm -hmm. like if you don't know what you're doing and you're following right. some meditation or you're like, you know, it's like exploring your own mind kind of. Like mm -hmm. I've – there are a, ha a very small handful of times I've – done that in a meditation, not leaving my body, but mm -hmm. like obviously. Yeah. But like that I've like – been able to just do something totally different in my own mind. Mm -hmm. And what if you just did it on accident? Right. <laughs> yeah. I I wonder if it takes a lot of training to actually reach that deep of a state must, to be able to right? do that. I think, it, yeah, it yeah. has to. But I did see one article, but it had zero information <laughs> about a girl in India whose family said that she had been watching YouTube videos of astral projection and trying to do it. Mm -hmm. And she died for unknown reasons. <laughs> so it seems like there's way too much coincidence with that. Mm -hmm. Like, I just don't buy that. That's a coincidence. Right. So yeah, maybe it was an accident, but I don't know. It's very interesting. Um, that concept, like we just talked about, it's, like actually dying <laughs> from meditation. Yeah. But there was also a study done, and I think it was in 2018, so very recent, with some Buddhist monks who were able to induce near-death experiences through meditation, so mm -hmm. NDEs. And <clears throat> the study took place over the course of three years with 12 Buddhist monks who during meditation had been able to consistently induce these NDEs. And here's what they described. So <clears throat> all participants reported that the M-I-N-D-E, so meditation-induced near-death experience, <laughs> began mm -hmm. with them consciously reducing the degree of connection to their physical worldly body. Participants referred to this as a process of gradual dissolution, letting go of body, or becoming untied, describes the study. During the next phase of the MINDE, they ceased to be aware of time and space. 
more specifically, (laughs) yeah, they realize that time and space are relative phenomena that ultimately do not exist. I can't even comprehend feeling that way. (laughs) I mean, I know, like, I logically am aware that that is Mm -hmm. true. Yeah, but it's also, it's what structures our lives. So, right. How could you? Of not having that, it's so foreign. So, anyway. And space, not just time, but time and space. Right. Yeah. That's without a body, space is irrelevant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. True. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Get ready for the next one, though, because this is even harder. So, the next phase of the MINDE involved encounters with non worldly realms and beings, realms of torture. (laughs) where the beings hang from ropes and hungry ghost realms. (laughs) Oh my God. That's going back to like early season one, the Japanese hungry ghosts. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Yeah. So. Whoa. Spooky. And then finally participants described entering a state of emptiness, voidness, and non-self. So I kind of don't like, any of that <laughs> to be no. honest i but i guess i don't know this so maybe i shouldn't even say it but i think that in the buddhist tradition there's like the 12 yeah worlds. steps to enlightenment or yeah. whatever so i guess that final one that they said like emptiness voidness non-self is that when you reach death that's what you're feeling or like enlightenment i don't know yeah. i don't know i mean that would be kind of consistent <clears throat> like general Buddhist teachings, right? Mm -hmm. Because like all of us are nothing and everything at the same time, you know? Like that, obviously that's not how (laughs) you just would state it, but Mm -hmm. it's kind it feels to me like sort of the gist of it is like nothing has a soul, everything is equal, like Mm -hmm. I'm the same as a rock, you know? So it's like to reach that point would be to, to realize that, like truly bodily mentally realize that yeah. well not bodily but mentally realize right. that yeah and then you just kind of float yeah but then you're not you right like that's yeah. the, like this is why I believe that whatever the afterlife is is so if anything is just so beyond our our human brains comprehension mm-hmm. yeah like I I wonder if animals understand it and they just mm-hmm. can't communicate it yes yeah. I, I kind of doubt it if but they're not self-aware. Yeah. But there's maybe so much that plugged in. Yeah, yeah. To they the, to the planet instinct and uh-huh. yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that's wild, dude. Yeah. I don't like the sound of that at all. No, <laughs> I, I think that's the last thing that I would want. I mean, obviously I don't want to go to hell <laughs> If there is such a thing. Hey, you don't want to, you don't want to go but, to that torture room? Really? Yeah, no, but I also really hate the idea of being aware, but just in nothing. In nothingness. Alone. That's- well, see, that's the part that doesn't make sense to me is, okay, in order to recall something, you have to be self-aware, right? right. Mm-hmm. To a, To a degree. Yeah that I experienced this. Okay. I experienced it. Therefore I am me and I am Mm self-aware. How can you 
I, I know you can feel emptiness. You can see emptiness if it's, you know, a black hole or mm-hmm. a void or whatever, but how, and sure you can feel, um, not detached. There's like a psychological term for it. Um, hmm. dis- oh, dissociate. You oh, can dissociate, yeah. mm-hmm. but it's not really nothingness if you're experiencing it. Right. Right. <sighs> yeah. It's so like, it's, so it's kind of like, maybe that's just like your brain's way of comprehending like something so other that mm-hmm. it's just like, Oh, this is as far as I could possibly go. Yeah. So that's true. You know, this is what I experience mm-hmm. in quotation marks. Yeah. I don't know. That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> so who knows, but I will say reading about all of this, like I, I don't know. I feel more convinced that there's death is not the end for us. Yeah. I think there's something waiting yeah. and we'll never know exactly, what it is yeah. while we're living. So no. which is part of the beauty of it, right? Like yeah. the anticipation of it, the fear. I mean, mm-hmm. truly like that sounds kind of negative, but I always think about, you said to me one time, like years ago, I was going through a breakup and I called you up when I was driving home from his house. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like hysterical, like <laughs> crying so hard. I could barely breathe. Mm-hmm. And you said something, you said something along the lines of like, I know it's not, it's probably not going to like feel good to hear this now, but I try to remember when I feel that low, like that sad, that this is like that feeling is the closest you ever get to being human, like to mm-hmm. humanity, because you're not human if you don't experience those feelings, not fully. Right. And so I think about that a lot, like with with everything, though, that like happiness is relative. Like if yeah. you're you would not know high if you didn't know low. Yeah. Like ha- it has to have an opposite. It has right. to be relative to something else. Mm-hmm. So in a way like fearing death and the unknownness of it mm-hmm. is the only thing that allows us to enjoy being alive. Right. Because if yeah. there if there were no like oh it just goes on and on until eternity it's mm-hmm. like okay well then I'll just yeah. sloth around yeah. you know it's like yeah. if you know, it wouldn't be like yeah it's mm-hmm. like there's no like carpe diem it's like yeah. let's like appreciate that we're mm-hmm. alive and like self aware and all those yeah. things and like ask questions and like wonder about mm-hmm. what's on the other side if anything but yeah. like yeah I don't know maybe that's a little preachy for for some listeners but I don't know I guess I just it does really feel to me like it's designed this way on purpose yes I think so too and in the course of reading all of this stuff there was also I can't remember the name but there's a specific kind of meditation that you can do if you have this major fear of death and oh interesting. it's supposed to remind you exactly what you were saying that you should enjoy now and be comfortable with the fact that your death is inevitable and maybe there's something else for you after that. So yeah, don't be afraid. <laughs> what was the, um, what was that? Is it called the book of joy with Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama that they co-wrote I think it? So 
Let's see. Okay, because they talk, I think they talk yes. about this exact meditation and all Buddhist monks have to mm-hmm. do it. It's part of their like training or indoctrination or what, however they mm-hmm. call it. But they literally have to stare at these photos of like decomposition decomposing (laughs) decomposing (laughs) decaying human bodies like after Mm -hmm. they've died and there's a whole meditation around it and it's by the end like you cannot move on from that step until you're basically like entirely I don't want to say desensitized but a little bit like desensitized Mm -hmm. to the shock of death as a concept but also that like it is a beautiful part of our life cycle. It's like mm-hmm. a beautiful and necessary part of our life cycle. Yeah. It's like, it's, I just like, I remember reading that and just being like, <laughs> I love that. Like, yeah. I love that perspective mm-hmm. that we're all going to die. None of us make it out alive. Yeah. So what are you going to do with the time you have? Like, right. you know, what are you going to do with it? And like, how can you just like embrace it as a, a very necessary eventuality you know mm-hmm. yeah I know I just think that's like such a beautiful concept like just a beautiful way to think about something that is that can be so terror inducing because of the unknown factors and what happens and will it hurt and all of that mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's so true and we are so disconnected from it overall oh my god and yeah especially our society like yes. our culture yes because I think it was on Christmas. I don't remember why, but my mom was talking about like, oh, I don't want to live past 90. It's just too old for me. And my first reaction was, no, <laughs> like I yeah. want you to live forever. But forever. Yeah. that's, yeah, it's not a healthy view necessarily. Like no. 90 years yeah. is a great amount of time. And if you're yeah. ready, then you should do that then. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't yeah. know immediately well, no. her yeah I mean that's that's how I feel like whenever my parents like kind of joke about that I'm mm-hmm. like don't you fucking dare yeah. <laughs> but I think yeah. in a lot of ways because there's kind of two hurdles to overcome right mm-hmm. like it's it's your own death which I think for most of us is the most scary mm-hmm. like the scariest concept yeah. but it's also the death of others that you then have to witness in some instances and like live through and past right so you know like I, it used to terrify me as a kid. Like it used to like quite literally send me into an existential panic mm-hmm. that I was the youngest until my mm-hmm. nephew was born. I was the youngest in the family. And that yeah. I would likely statistically outlive everyone yeah. who I know and love mm-hmm. in my family. Yeah. And that used to just haunt me, like mm-hmm. truly haunt me. Yeah. And then I got older and I realized like, oh, well, I also have friends and like, you know, shit happens. People get yeah. sick. I Other people could outlive me. I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. we don't know. We can't know that. Yeah. But I think about that a lot that like, you know, like I have one living grandparent left mm-hmm. and she's not going to live forever. So yeah. And it was having to see my mom eventually mourn her passing someday mm-hmm. hopefully not soon but yeah. it could be you mm-hmm. know it's like we don't know yeah. so it's just, yeah I don't know it's like how do you I wonder what the like Buddhist like if they would view those as one in the same like your death and like your peers death peers mm-hmm. as in like fellow human yeah it's all the same so it's like mourning your own death mourning someone else's like it's the same grief mm-hmm. or if it would be like two different approaches to sort of stomaching that yeah I don't know good question 
it's kind of rhetorical, but yeah, I know. Very interesting. So it's, interesting. Also, I mean, we're getting off like on <laughs> way on a tangent, <laughs> but yeah, um, whatever. I think there's something like I don't. It's Scandinavian death or something. Like oh they goodness. want to die alone. Like that's oh. the way they do it. And I am probably speaking out of turn, but the reason I'm thinking of that right now is that one of my close family friends is from Sweden Mm -hmm. and we have another family friend who is in the process of dying. And Mm -hmm. she said, yeah, you know, having this whole wake and celebration of love while he's still alive, that's not something I would do because I think of death as a solo act. Like, Oh, that's interesting. Family around. It's yeah. I want to be alone. So maybe I'll look that up because I think that's a phenomenon. Because I've also heard (laughs) from my boyfriend's mom, who they're like sort of Scandinavian. Mm -hmm. It's I think it's Scandinavian death cleaning or something. Like you, (laughs) you clean your house as if you know that you're gonna die. Like and. I'm not explaining these things right. No, no, but, but I think I understand. Yeah, there's as if you'd have to leave it behind right. forever. Yeah, exactly. There's some thing that they have surrounding death that is also interesting. Huh. So, yeah. That's interesting. I can understand that though. Like wanting to do it as like a solo mm-hmm. adventure, your <clears throat> last adventure. Yeah. Like we're alone. We're always alone. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that in a sad way. Like I'm alone in my mind. You're alone yeah. in yours. We've talked about this a mm-hmm. ton. But yeah. like and how isolating that can feel. But it's also mm-hmm. kind of a beautiful thing. You come into the world alone too. Yeah. So it seems like you may want to exit the world alone. And also from a more like interpersonal standpoint, I don't necessarily want like the last image of like my kids to be of me like sick mm-hmm. and dying. You know? Yeah. It's like I'd rather you remember me for who I really was, not right. like who I was at the, in my last moments. Yeah. And that like death breath thing that happens, mm-hmm. like that final exhale, like I don't want yeah. my family there for that. You yeah. know, it's like that just seems cruel to have them watch that. Yeah, I can see that. I. It's interesting though, because my two of my grandparents died in very close proximity mm. of one another. Mm-hmm. And my grandpa had that attitude that he didn't want us to see him like that and wanted our last view of him to be when he was healthy. But my grandma who lived in the same town, so it was easier to see her. I got to be there when she died and Mm -hmm. I heard the exhale and I was actually so appreciative of that. Oh, interesting. It just felt like I didn't want her to be alone (laughs) and maybe, maybe people do want to be alone. I don't know. But I had such a hard time leaving her there because it felt like, yeah. I don't want you to do this alone. Yeah. I'm here for you. Yeah. I'm start crying. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, understandably, but yeah. like it's for, it's for them so that mm-hmm. they're not in their final moments. Like they have someone to hold their hand. Right. And when I think yeah. of her, I don't think of her in that moment. In that moment. Yeah. I think of her. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. And because I live in her old house now. <laughs> so I think of her right. here. I think of the days leading up to her death when I got to feed her pudding yeah. and stuff. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I don't think of that 
death rattle or whatever they call it. So yeah. I think it's yeah, different. And it is different. And I think too, I wonder in some ways if like you're and this is probably like way too philosophical, but like maybe you're able to view her at like the her prime, like remember her in that way because you saw the very end. Yeah. You know? Like mm-hmm. in some ways, like imagining it can be a lot worse than the yeah. reality. Yeah, true. Or seeing photos of it, like mm-hmm. yeah, the whole process. Cause for my grandpa yeah. it took weeks. And so mm-hmm. we were getting updates throughout, but I couldn't actually be there with him. So right. yeah. Which is so brutal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so interesting. Okay, sorry. I brought us like really down a little (laughs) rabbit hole. No. It's a very interesting topic. uh I mean, I hope people enjoyed this. It's not very spooky at all, but it's, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's fascinating. It's a little because it's it's not spooky, but it's like it's unknown, otherworldly and unknown. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. Now I'll try to be brief since I know we are pretty long now. No, you're good. Take (laughs) your time. yeah, so I I can't remember if the article I read called psychic death and voodoo death the same thing. Oh, okay. But I'm going to talk about voodoo death now because mm. it's sort of related, um, but it's – so voodoo death, it's also called psychosomatic death. Um, mm. But usually with voodoo death, it's because someone – believes that they're dying so like the power that we have to convince ourselves that we're going to die and then you die (laughs) so um, interesting yeah so the first person who coined the term voodoo death was walter cannon in 1942 and he did a bunch of research mostly with aboriginal communities And he noticed this pattern of people thinking that they had been cursed and then dying within 24 hours. And I think I mentioned that once before. 24 hours? That's so fast. Like totally (laughs) rapid deterioration after being healthy. So like for one example that he wrote about was this woman who ate a piece of fruit. But then someone told her, oh, my God, you ate that. It came from this tabooed place. And she died in less than 24 hours after eating that fruit. And probably there's nothing actually wrong with that fruit. But in her right. mind, it cursed her. It was poison, basically. Yeah. yeah. So she let go oh, and died. Oh, my God. So very fascinating. Um, and so there's a really interesting article It was in Pacific Standard, and it was written by Daphne Chen, and it's called Voodoo Death and How the Mind Harms the Body, and it details a lot of instances of voodoo death, including some that are in modern times, so I'm going to read some snippets. Oh, yeah. In 1977, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention started receiving reports that otherwise healthy Southeast Asian men were dying mysteriously in their sleep, some with terrified expressions on their faces. Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah. Researchers at a loss called it SUNS, Sudden Unexpected Nocturnal Death Syndrome. In particular, sons disproportionately affected Hmong refugees from Laos 
at the peak of the epidemic in 1981, Hmong men were dying from sons at the same rate as American men in the same age group were dying from the five leading causes of natural death combined, <laughs> which I've never what? heard about. I have never heard about that before. So I don't know an exact number, but it's pretty high, clearly. That's a lot. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. So uh, people Yo, didn't- the way our news only reports Western shit about white people is I know. so whack. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what yeah. I like I would have loved to learn about this in school at any point yeah. in my life. <laughs> so well, you were in a degree that totally would have mm-hmm. or yeah, like a field of study fit. that totally would have yeah. fit. Yeah. So who knows? But it goes on. uh, People don't know or people didn't know at all what was going on, says University of California, San Francisco professor Shelley Adler, who was a graduate student studying medical anthropology at the time. Mm. But after interviewing 118 Hmong men and women about their experiences, her suspicions were confirmed. Many attributed the deaths to fatal attacks from Dab Sog. I don't know how to say that. Okay. Um, an evil nighttime spirit in the traditional Hmong religion that crushes men at night. <gasps> so their descriptions Whoa. of Dab Sok were similar to sleep paralysis, a disorder in which a person's mind awakens while their body is still asleep or paralyzed. They often feel like they are being crushed and experience hallucinations. Oh, that was how they explained it from their cultural lens. But then they're wondering, okay, sleep paralysis on its own is not fatal. It doesn't kill anyone. So why is it suddenly fatal for this group of people? Mm -hmm. And so it goes on. Researchers today continue to find evidence of it. Um, I'd be I'd been thinking for a long, long time how I would test this idea that fear makes a difference. So fear is a big part of voodoo death as well, um, that there's some reason that we're fearful that we're going to die. So this professor, David Phillips, he learned from a student that many Chinese and Japanese people are superstitious about numbers particularly the number four, which we've talked about, Mm -hmm. um, which is considered unlucky because it sounds like the word for death. Phillips decided to crunch cardiac mortality figures for all Chinese and Japanese Americans who died from 1973 to 1998 on the fourth day of each month. He found that cardiac deaths were 7% higher than expected for Chinese and Japanese Americans on the fourth day of each month when compared to white Americans. (laughs) That number rose to 13% for chronic heart disease deaths and was at its strongest at 27% in California, which accounts for almost half of the Chinese and Japanese deaths in the U.S. Oh, my God. (laughs) The power of, you know, thinking that something is going to hurt you. It's, yeah, these cultural... beliefs are strong enough to affect your physical body. Well, and think about like all of the things that we say, like mind over matter. I mean, that is literally mind over matter. Mm-hmm. Or even like your attitude going into a surgery can it impact the outcome. Like, of mm-hmm. course it can. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> it definitely gives you pause 
Um, For sure. Yeah. Because I think the moral of this whole episode is like, our minds can do so much more than we even know. Yeah. And I don't know if we can even harness that as a yeah. average person, <laughs> but I it's a lot to think about. Yeah. And I mean, how much of it is like, you know, like learning a language as a, a toddler is easier than learning a language mm-hmm. as an adult, right? So like for this, these mom mm-hmm. men, mm-hmm. clearly there's something cultural that was ingrained in them from infancy, probably mm-hmm. that, you know, if it's that the sheer volume of the people who've died in that way right. is just like mind boggling. Right. Cause it could have been that one friend or family member died that way. And then they thought, or somebody was like, like, Oh, it was this spirit that did it. And then wildfire. They think, okay. Yeah. That could happen to me too. Well, and if it happened to this person in such like close proximity to me, mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm next. Right. Yeah. 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 Whoa. Oh, I have like, <laughs> Such chills. Mm-hmm. That is so wild. Yes. Fascinating. And then one little follow-up that they said on the Hmong cases. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. They say, eventually scientists began piecing together parts of the sun's puzzle. In 1992, mm-hmm. researchers identified a genetic mutation called the Brugada syndrome, which causes mm-hmm. abnormal electrical impulses in the heart and could be linked to sons and SIDS, which is sudden infant death yeah. syndrome. Um, an extensive survey and sleep study of Hmong in Wisconsin confirmed that they were six to seven times more likely to have sleep apnea and 10 times more likely to report frequent sleep paralysis than non-Hmong people. Whoa. But that then begs the question, if it's a genetic disorder, why isn't this still happening? Or why wasn't it right. happening before? Yeah. So it doesn't fully explain it, but it's still interesting that there is a genetic piece. We should acknowledge that at least. Yeah. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Whoa. And that also kind of like undermines a lot of what the research I've seen or read about SIDS that like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's always changing. Like, mm-hmm. don't leave your baby on their back for too long. Don't let right. them sleep on their stomach. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it's a constant, it's like, okay, well, where are they going to sleep? On their freaking head? Like, <laughs> yeah, what? in your arms all the time. Yeah, constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that makes you wonder, like, would those kids have died no matter what? Like, right. that doesn't seem to have been the consensus medically, Yeah, you know, before. So yeah. that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. When was this done when was the study done does it say um, let me see if i have a date i want to say that one was yeah in 1992 they found oh, so the it was a while ago brugada syndrome maybe i'll look huh. more into that because it's that's so interesting yeah very wow and that's interesting that there's a genetic piece also to sleep paralysis i hadn't heard that before no I haven't heard that either. So maybe I'm going to get crushed by it. <laughs> Don't start thinking about it because it. No, I happen. won't. I'm also not a man. Yeah, so, that's right. He wow. does it to men. Mm-hmm. Um, True. Yeah, but Jesus, dude. That's it for today. Oh my God. <laughs> a lot to well, think about. I, yeah, I'm going to be noodling on this while mm-hmm. I go smoke a J. So. <laughs> That's the Which exact is legal, right just thing to do. Clear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, 
<laughs> but thank you guys for listening. Um, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Girls Gone Spooky. And please email us your shared dream stories. Mm-hmm. Your thoughts on death. death. <laughs> yeah, your thoughts on death or psychic mm-hmm. death or just generally anything really. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Our inbox is open um, and I'll just be, you know, like death metal dreaming over here. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we'll see you next week. Until then, stay spooky. Stay spooky. See you in my dreams. Yes. (laughs) Bye. Bye.